What's up, guys? Welcome back. Another episode of the Average Money Podcast. We did it two weeks in a row. We did it last week. We had so much fun. We decided to do it again. We just jumped, jumped into YouTube, went live on YouTube, got to chat in here. Just did our Friday episode, which you guys have already heard because it came out on Friday. But we asked the chat if there was any topics, you know, like shoot some ideas at us, you know, let us know. It's, and, and Brian, I'll, I'll butcher your last name, Leg, Legarta, like, like, Lagaretta? 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 Lagaretta. Brian Lagaretta? Brian with a Y? He he gave us a really, really good topic. And at first we're like, yeah. Then we're like, "Mm." and then we're like, yeah, we can talk about this for at least a little bit. And I I would love to actually talk about this because it's going to be nice to reminisce. We'll get into that question in one second. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. Getting up there into the high 60s. I think this will be episode 68. My name is Brad Finn. I'm joined every single week, sometimes with another co-host, JJ Buckner. How are we doing, buddy? I seasoned my cast iron skillet today. It's critical. It's very critical, and it was way overdue. When you said mine, you only have one? I only have one. You're a crazy person. What do you have, a smaller size and a big size? It's like having one axe, one knife, one gun. I only have one axe. <laughs> you only have one axe? You don't have, yeah. a, you don't have a hatchet and an axe? Uh, nope. I just have a, ha- a big axe. You don't have a hatchet? Nope. Oh I don't need it for anything. That's like having one gun. Mm, mm, not necessarily. <laughs> what do you have? What, how many cast irons do you have? I have three. Are they all different sizes? Of course. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. But like, see, I only cook cast iron for like bigger dishes that all get put into the cast iron or a big breakfast, or steaks. That's about the only thing. I re- or stir fries. I cook my stir fries in there too sometimes. And my grandma has had her cast iron skillet for literally, I think, 50 years. And she just takes care of the damn thing. And I'm like, Grandma, let's just go buy a new one. She's like, oh, this has many years of good recipes, and it's the taste is stored in the, the, uh, the cast iron. I was like, hey, I don't blame you. I'll probably never get rid of mine either. We got ours whenever uh, Lindsay and I got married seven years ago. Oh really? Yep. All right, man. You want actually it? fun fun fact? Uh, speaking of money, we are a money podcast. Yeah. Lindsay and I just dropped some money on new pots and pans. We have not purchased new pots and pans since we got married, and the ones I think we had were just pretty cheapy ones. Dude, we can't cook anything on these skillets. They everything sticks to it, and we'll like layer it up with Pam. Still is a horrible thing to cook on. So we went to Hawaii. Did you say pan? <laughs> Pam. Panda. No, Pam. Hand. You're no, say, no, You're no. saying hand. Pam. Panned? Pam. P-A-M. Pam. Pan. Pam. <laughs> is that with an... Oh, 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 P-A-N-D. Oh, pan. pan. That's what you're pan. saying. That's it. Yeah. No, Pam. Pam. P-A- oh my goodness. Great movie. No, dude. We, so we use new skillets and stuff in Hawaii and now it's, we like, okay, we got to break down and buy them. So seasoned the cast iron skillet today and bought us some new pots and pans, man. What a, an exciting life I live. Yeah. Well, that exciting life you live is because of your journey through personal finance. The topic brought up for tonight, which I, I tried to make some clever title about it that you guys know that we don't know yet. <laughs> what investing moment did you say, 
ah, this is working. Like life-changing investment moment. Because initially I felt my investments weren't doing anything, but a year later, I'm starting to see it start to pay off. There's been so many aha moments in my personal finance journey. And he talked about like investing, but I kind of just, I kind of want to bring in a little bit of my personal finance aha moments because not everybody's up to investing. I would say the first time that the first aha moment I had was I had on my debt snowball. I went the debt snowball route. And if you don't know what the debt snowball is, I think we did an episode on it. You can look it back, but it's essentially, it's a technique to pay off debt quickly. It's arch nemesis is the debt avalanche. And in that episode, we talked about how it doesn't really matter which one you do. My first aha moment, I had, I think five or six different things in my snowball. When I got to that fifth or that fourth or fifth, the second to last one, and which in the debt snowball is getting towards my larger, you know, payments, my, I mean, my larger lump sums left, I couldn't believe how fast five and six went. When you first look at your debt snowball, you see like five things and you think they're all going to like be a little bit different. And you look at the first one and it's like 500. Then you get to your student loan and it's like 60K. And you're like, how? That was my first aha moment. Did you did you do the debt snowball? You kind of just paid off debt, right? You didn't really do the debt snowball, right? Yeah, I mean, all Lindsay and I really had was our student loans. And, and we had like separate loans within our student loans. Like you'll have like unsubsidized and subsidized loans. So I guess we kind of went around it like that. Like the highest one that had the highest interest, we we did that first. So we did more of the debt avalanche, but in the midst of things, like we didn't have a car payment, we didn't have credit cards, we didn't have medical bills, stuff like that to pay off. It was just student loans. But um, yeah, dude, I mean, I would be lying if I said that wasn't a like, holy crap, you can do some big things with money moments. You know, like when you get, the, when you accomplish a goal like that, you know, a pretty big goal of paying off debt, uh, that's uh, that's when you're like, okay, this is a wake up moment. Like I can really do some power here. And like, that's, I think some of us struggle too. I know Brad, you really did. Like once you pay off debt, you're like, Whoa, what do I do now? Like I was working for so many years to get this debt paid off. What's the next step. But once you get into the next step, which I think we'll kind of talk about here a little bit in this episode is it's crazy when you realize I just paid off when you look back and like Brad, I think you wait 189,000 or something like that. When you look back and you're like, Tara, like, holy crap, girl, we just paid $189,000 off in debt? Yes. Like, what the hell? Like, now think about what else we could do. You know, if we really put our, our uh, you know, heads down and just go forward with this thing, like, we can really accomplish some big goals here. When we first did the snowball, we're, we said to ourselves, all right, so when we get rid of this thing, our debt minimums were 3500 bucks. So we're like, when we pay this thing off, we're going to get $3,500 in our pockets. Great. Like that early motivation of when you're looking at this mountain of debt and you never think it's going to go away. But when we got to our last one, I think that was the most extra money we ever threw on our debts ever because we the conversation to change to like, do you know what we could do yes. with $3,500 every single month? And you start playing that scenario in your mind. And I think- I said that we that was the time we were throwing the most amount of extra money on top. Another aha moment I did have, but and then we'll move past the debt part, is I had investments 
that were in taxable brokerage accounts. I'm not talking 401ks. I'm not talking Roth IRAs. I had money in Robinhood and things like that. And everything in my gut told me to sell it off and pay off the debt. Like I could be debt free if I sold off these shares of Apple. Everything in my gut told me it was right. Everything in the real world, this was the first time I had an internal, like a real internal battle with myself. During that time, people criticized that snowball, that avalanche, but that was like the first major needle changing money making decision for me. I had investment dollars. Now I did pause investments, but I only knew that because I looked at the math and that made sense to me. This one I had a really, really hard time making sense of. And we're talking, and if anybody's curious, we're talking like I think $19,000 left it was. I had like 19 in my brokerage account and I had like 16 or 17 left in debt. And I, I went with my gut. I went against YouTube. I got scorched at the time. This was all documented on my channel, probably had 100 subs at this time. I got lit up for it. You know, my friends, my family, everyone, you're an idiot, time in the market, compound. I'm like, I did the math at the $3,500 minimum. I'm like, I could be right back to where I'm at right now in like five or six months. If I take my debt minimums and repay this into the market as opposed to keeping it, so I went with my gut. And I've posted my personal capital like net worth chart. Some of you may have even seen it, but like, you see my brokerage account and then straight down. And then literally it was like four or five months later, I hit that. And then a year later, it was like three, four times. It was right before a boom. And that 15K would have taken me five or six months to pay off if I just did the minimums and didn't. I would have, I ended up in this time with more money. But that was an aha moment. Like, go with your gut. That was the first time I was like, if you're a smart guy, if you're reading the books, and you feel it, try and block out social media, and you had to do the same when you paid off your mortgage early. Mm-hmm. You know, like, go with your gut, and that's an aha moment as well. Would you go back and do it again? Dude, I would have done it sooner. Yeah. <laughs> I would have done it before it would have made me debt-free. I would have done it on day one. Yeah. And here's why. Because those smaller early debts that I talked about, right, and that's when we're looking up at the mountaintop, and we're like, this is brutal. Mm-hmm. If I would have gotten a $15,000 or $14,000 head start and I would have started to see those benefits in the later stage of the snowball that I just talked about that fired me up, like, oh my God, if I would have seen that sooner and I paid off my debt relatively quick and guys, this doesn't matter when you pay off your debt. You're going to see on social media, I paid off this in four months. Like, great. doesn't matter. Paid off. doesn't matter. But I was blessed enough to be able to do it in about three years. So... Now, if I would have paid it off immediately, yeah, maybe it would have taken me two years, two and three quarters years. I'm not saying it would have like changed it by years and years, but knowing what I know now, uh, I would have, I would not have a taxable brokerage account outside of my Roth. Yes, my Roth. We've talked about that, but my money in Robinhood gone. If I have debt, if I have a car payment, if I have student loans, if I have credit, if I have any consumer debt, 100. percent People do not want to hear it, and I know you're probably going to agree with me. I mean, this is one thing that I think we can agree on. And so many times, you know, it's, I think I heard Gary V say once, like, it's so crazy how we buy all these like weight loss things when it's like, all you have to be told is exercise and eat right. Yeah. And eat right. That's it. And like, this is when it comes down, like the same conversation, like, oh, I want to, I want to increase my net worth really, really quickly. Okay. Get rid of your taxable brokerage account and stop paying interest to other people. 
because getting rid of debt is the only guaranteed way to increase your net worth. It's the only guaranteed so way. It's the only guaranteed way. And then people are like, ah, I'm going to ride this Robin Hood thing out. If I got some Dogecoin in there, you know, if, if Dogecoin goes to a dollar, I'll pay off all my debts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I can't, I can't really argue it because like you said, I did it to pay off my mortgage and, and we're talking about consumer debt here, which I mean, I guess your mortgage technically is consumer debt as well, but you know, on a, on a different scale, I think, but yeah, man, I mean like when it comes to owning stocks and stuff in Robin hood versus like, obviously we think you should have your money in retirement and Roth and all that stuff. We're not talking about that, but your, 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 maybe your play money or whatever it is on, in stocks and Robin hood on the side, I'm totally for like, get that debt going. Like don't, but here's the thing. Don't sell your your stocks from Robinhood. Go pay off your debt and then go get more debt. Then you're defeating the purpose. Now you are ruining it. Now you're now you're messing yourself up big time. Because not only did you sell your st- your stocks and got rid of the, that compound interest, but now you're not only just paying off that debt and now go get, getting more. You're right back to where you were before, and now you don't have any stocks. So like, that's two steps forward and three steps back. So true, man. So true. So let's move on to investing now. Unless you have more to say about the debt. No, nope. Go ahead. I have two things that I can think of off the top of my head, and you'll probably drive me to think of another one. So the first aha, this is working, was when I finally, after like a year, looked back at how well VTSAX was doing. And like the whole like, this is working, I was super, super, I read The Simple Path to Wealth early before I, before I was debt free. So like I couldn't wait to get out of debt to imply the simple path to wealth. And once again, really, really hard when you're trying to be an internet YouTube guy talking about how, how you invest in one thing. And it was, it was hard. And when I got to about a year, I really saw like so many people stressed out about some fluctuations and some people stressed out about this, that, and the other thing. And then VTSAX was like, just that perfect like yo-yo going upstairs. And anytime anything took a major, major drop, it dropped, but by not as much, you know? And so that was like really, really, really important. So actually when I started investing for the first time, I think like outside my 401k, I actually had a horrible aha moment. I may have told the story already on the podcast, but I'm going to tell it again for those listeners that may not have heard it in previous episodes. But so when I, when I purchased my first stock, right, I am a 24 year old JJ fresh out of college, sitting in my cubicle, hating life and trying to figure out how am I going to make some extra money to be able to get out of this damn job? Because the job, I'm not saying cubicles are bad, but the job I was working at inside my cubicle, no, I'm going to say, I personally hate cubicles, but the the uh the, with that the job i was working at and the job i was doing was absolutely just horrible that's all i can say it, it sucked dude i hated it. every 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 drive home was miserable for me knowing i had to wake up and do that same thing that same next day so anyways i was like hey I'm 24 you know i can i can do the stock thing and this was before like stock youtubers existed like it was more of just like I don't even remember reading articles. I, maybe I read some articles like blog posts on stocks or something like that, but I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And I opened up an E-Trade account back when you had to pay like $7.99 or $9.99 a commission for every trade. So every time you purchase a stock, 
you had to pay like $10 to purchase the stock. It's crazy to think about now. But, you know, we're talking what, seven years ago, eight years ago. So anyways, it's 24-year-old 24 JJ, 24 JJ. I open up my E-Trade account and I'm searching. I'm looking for the next stock. I started out looking at like Apple, Google, like your typical stocks, which I wish I would have bought back then and never have sold. I would have been sitting pretty. But I'm like, no, I got to do something different. I don't know what the hell I'm doing here, but for some random reason, I think I can beat these main household names. I need to find the next Amazon. I need to find the next ExxonMobil that no one's even heard about yet. I know I can do it, even though I don't even know how stocks work. I have to look up and read a blog post on how to make my transaction happen on E-Trade. But I could find the stock. I can find the stock to know what it's going to do. So anyways, I found this oil stock, right? I think it was called like Kodiak or Bear something. I don't remember. It was a cool name. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Got a cool ticker symbol. I'll throw 500 bucks. And 500 bucks was a lot for me back then. Um, I mean, it still is a lot to this day. So I threw a $500 into this oil stock because I just figured like, oh, I know a lot of people that have made a lot of money in oil. Oil sounds like a cool investment. I'll get into that. I, guys, I literally had no idea how stocks worked. My family never invested in stocks. Like I never had a conversation about stocks. This was me starting from nothing. So I buy this oil company back in like, I don't know what it was, 2015, 16, somewhere around there. I can't remember whatever age I was at at 24, whatever year it was. So then literally, I think not two months later or a month later, oil tanks, no pun intended. It just drops to nothing. This company literally goes out of business. It gets bought up by another company, but they end up like getting rid. I don't know exactly what happened. I don't remember it to this day, but basically the stock was worth nothing. I made literally the worst investment I think I could have ever have made, which I'm so shocked to this day that I stuck with it, knowing that I literally lost my entire $500 from this investment. And I sold it at like the very bottom. I looked back at it like a year ago. No, like I think the company that was owned now is like Whiting something. I can't remember. But anyways, I, I looked back and the company that bought it at the time was like a $300 per share company. Their stock price was 300 bucks. So now I looked at it a year ago, whatever it was, and they were trading for like under a dollar. They were a penny stock. They went from $300 down to like less than a dollar. You should have ran from the markets. Dude, I know, right? That was like my real first aha moment of like, what the hell am I doing? Why am I investing in stocks? All in the meantime, which just leads to my next point, I'm still investing in my 401k. You know, I'm still investing in the 401k at work. And I'm watching that too. Still not really sure how everything works yet, but I'm learning. And guys, when I'm in my cubicle, I'll tell you, I bet four to five hours of the day, I'm reading, listening, and trying to learn about investing is what I'm doing. Like that's what I did literally all day at work. So what kept you what kept you in the markets? Why didn't you no, run? Being competitive, like knowing like I'm one of those guys where like if I get kicked down, I'm going to step back up and I'm going to punch you in the nose and try and figure out a way to make it work to try to win even though I may get my ass kicked. I'm going to try and make it work somehow. So I got my butt kicked big time losing my $500 initial investment, which I feel like I'm still shocked that I came back, but I came back I learned more and I figured out the way of like, okay, maybe it's not right to just go buy some random company. Maybe I do need to start with the bigger companies until I'm learning to really understand how to value a company and all this. But with all that being said, I want to get back to my 401k. 
you know, now, now I still have my 401k. I've been putting that into the very first day I started with the company. And the next, I think, real big aha moment for me was looking at those unrealized gains in the 401k. You know, because like, you know, in Vanguard or Fidelity or Robinhood or whatever. And I feel like in our 401ks at work, we really don't get so uh, fixed on like we do with our brokerage accounts. You know, our brokerage accounts is what we go to. That's our sexy account. That's our fun account. We go to, we check it every day. What's our stocks doing? How much am I up? What am I down? What am, what am I looking like? The 401k is like, you know, it's just the the thing you put on the side burner that you don't even look at and it's just kind of sitting there. You don't even know what the hell it's doing, but it's there and you know you're contributing to it every single month or every single week or however often you put money in there. Well, when I went to like, I heard a podcast or read a blog post, something about my 401k and I was like, okay, maybe I need to look into this a little more. So I was doing some research on things and looking into it. I looked at my unrealized gains. I still remember it was like my unrealized gains was showing like $2,000. And real quick for some of you that may not understand unrealized gains, that means what your account is up, but you haven't sold to make those realized gains yet. So like you may have, your portfolio may be up $2,000, but you haven't necessarily gained $2,000 yet because you haven't officially made that trade. Uh, like you haven't officially sold those shares to take that profit out. Cause that could go back down to, to zero. You know, your, your poor, anyways, real quick. So when I looked at my unrealized gains, it was like $2,000. I was like, whoa, 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 what? Miss Slippy. I'm, <laughs> thank you very much for Slippy. I made $2,000. Oh, Miss Slippy, the part of the story I don't like. Okay. <laughs> you get out there and you find that fucking dog. Right, you say you got 2000 <laughs> I get $2,000. And I'm like, holy crap. Like, I just, I made $2,000 from literally doing nothing like what could happen 30 years down the road so that's when i think i really went down the rabbit hole even heavier and i was like okay there's something to this i may have screwed up over here on this 500 dollars investment that i lost i'm going to take that as a lesson learned and i need to really figure out what i'm doing here that was probably like my biggest aha moment but a fun one another fun one that i want to bring up and these are probably like all of my moments I've had really that have been real noticeable to me is my first dividend payment in my brokerage account. That was, dude, something about that. I don't Even know. Even though what it was it probably was. like 10 cents. Dude, I don't care. It may have been a penny. <laughs> okay. The fact that I earned that money as income, again, for doing absolutely nothing, for just owning this company, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just earned, let's say, 10 cents for maybe my couple hundred bucks that are invested or whatever it may be. And it, let's say I keep putting money into this and I'm doing the calculations here like, holy crap, if I got this, this, and I keep that, this could be a thousand bucks one day. This could be $2,000 one day. And I and like, I'm the type of guy I was like, I know I can do it. I got to get there. It's going to take some time, but I know I can do it. That was like a real turning aha moment for me is seeing that first dividend check come in. Like, and this was before, again, this was before Robinhood and all that stuff. Like this was all like uh, E-Trade and I couldn't even set up Drip yet. I had, there was actually, I remember calling E-Trade and asking them, is there a way I could do direct, you know, dividend reinvestment plans? Like, oh, there's a certain way you have to go about doing that. And you could buy, I think back then that you could buy stocks on this certain website that did it for you. It wasn't like a brokerage though. You like, you had to like buy the stocks and they would send you something. It was so weird. It's so crazy how much things have changed over the past just five to six, seven years. 
But no, having my first dividend payment on top of the unrealized gains, seeing that was a game changer. And I think that's why I still have a hold a tight place in my heart to dividends. You love is dividends. because you love oh them. dude, I love them so much, man. Like that was a real big like cash flow, dude. Cash flow is so huge. When to you me. say it like that, I wish you would have brought that up in the dividend episode because when you say it like that, like it was it was earned income. Like you don't yeah. get that. And I was thinking about my my kids. Like if I bought them shares of stocks that didn't have dividends, like I have to depend on the growth. Like at least they can get some sort. At least my kids could quote be, yeah. like they could be earning money. And I think what you just mentioned again, I just want to like come back a little bit is that's kind of what Brian was saying, like took a year and then he started to realize it's starting to play for me. I agree with you 100%. It's so nice. And I do this to my wife. I'll show her like the investment like over time. And I'll be like, yo, in the last six months we made $30,000. She's like, I know, man, YouTube. I'm like, no, 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 not YouTube. Like capital gains growth. And she's like, what? And her yeah. mind is just blown. But my I guess my like second like investing one was very similar to that. And it was when people say the first one hundred thousand is the hardest, and that's really when you start to see things take off. When I got to a hundred thousand dollars invested and it was tough. But like from one hundred to two thousand two hundred thousand and then from two to four, you that was like an aha moment. I not when I got to a hundred. When I got to one hundred, I celebrated it like everybody was like, "Oh yay, hundreds! A hundred's the hardest." You know, got on YouTube. I think that was the title of my video. But when it got to two hundred, and I was like, "Whoa!" Like, just like Brian said, like when was it like, "Oh my god, this is working." And this was a combination of all those things. Put like the whole. That's why I want to bring in the whole picture. It was paying off debt. It was not paying other people interest. It was all, it was VTSAX and VTI. It was 401ks. But like the 100 to 200, that's been the one that's been the most, that's the one that made me want to have a podcast. That one is the one that made me want to make more YouTube videos, even though I'm probably getting a little too old for it. Like the 100 to 200, even though I don't talk money per se or my net worth per se, that's still something that drove me to know for myself, because so many times in our lives, we know it's true. The hard part is giving non-solicited advice to people that don't want to hear it, right? So there was so many times, so many mini aha moments for me, like totally internal that even my wife wouldn't understand. But the one, the jump and how fast it took from 100 to 200, that's what, like, I, I couldn't just keep that to myself. That's what motivated me to like, get going and to start educating people on getting to the hundred because you can put in your con this also becomes when it becomes fun to put it in your compound interest calculator you put a hundred thousand dollars in there put zero principal added over the years put seven percent and then quick 20 years and watch what that hundred thousand does well and here's a fun thing too is uh as you grow in your net worth pay attention to how fast that one hundred thousand goes to your next 100,000, you know, like it may take you a while to get to the first 100K because it is pretty tough, but then like to get to 200K, you get there faster. And then to get to 300K, you get there even faster. And you may have some hiccups where that may go down a little bit, but for the most part, 
the 300K is faster. The 400K is even faster. The 500K is even faster than the 400K. 600K is even faster than the 500K and the so on and so forth. And then when you get to that big milli, ooh, baby, look out. And you say you say on the milli, right now I'm looking up a blogger. He's actually co-owner of Mr. Money, Mas- Mr. Money Mustache Headquarters. That's a tongue twister. And um, he talks about his net worth often. He has his... Uh, blog is just 1500 days and his name's Carl Jensen. And he picked 1500 days because that was how many days he thought it was going to take to reach financial independence. And he also is very, very open about his net worth. And he, he just updated it and posted something awesome. I'll just read to you what it's saying. His first million dollars, he hit at age 40. It took 17 years of work starting from negative 60,000 in university debt and credit card. So, when he says 17, you read the article, like 17 years of work. The first time he started his W-2, it took him it took him 17 years to get to 1 million. It took him five years and three days. So now he's 45. So 17 to the first million. The next million came in five years and three days. His third million came a year later, just 266 wow. days later. And his fourth million came in 227 days. Less than a year the jump from two to three to 66 was less than, yeah. So he went from 1 million at age 40 to 4 million at age 47. And his wow. blog, he doesn't brag. He just, like I said, he talks and it's crazy. He said the first million took 17 years and over 6,000 days, full-time work, flipping homes and an unsatisfied life. The last 1 million took 217 days. During this time, I took trips, built stuff around the house and, and waited out COVID. Boom. That's, I love that. And that's kind of like that, what I was talking about. Like, yeah, but this also too, this is a great look at perspective. This dude's talking in terms of millions. I'm talking in terms of hundreds of thousands. You're going to see the same paying off debt. When you, the first 10,000 you pay off is going to be the hardest. The last 10,000, that's what I was talking about. The snowball is going to be the easiest. So true. Oh, it's, Oh man, these are aha moments. Can I ask you something, Brad? Yeah. It's like we're a money podcast, and like I don't really like to do too much like of my net worth, but I'll answer this question. And if you don't want to, you don't have to, but I think you're a little more open than I am about this stuff. When do you think do you know when you'll hit the million? If you don't you don't want if you don't want to answer, that's fine. No, no. <laughs> I, I actually I will mention it only because I've been conflicted lately, and you might have seen this on my Instagram page. Um, the other day I posted, should you consider your primary residence as part? I saw that. Okay. Full disclosure right now with what my house is worth. The reason I asked that question is because recently my net worth, including the equity in my home and my cars put me over the $1 million mark quote a millionaire. I know Carl Jensen personally. I know he's talking about investments and it was kind of that blog that made me think of it. And I felt a little bit of imposter syndrome because I mean, I'm a YouTuber, right? I should have made like the I'm a millionaire video and I didn't make the video because I now think of it like as a false sense of like, I don't know, but I don't want to like knock the way people do. Cause I, for the last six years I've tracked my net worth with the equity in my home. And I think when I got there, I felt like it was like part of a fake, fake diploma. So 
I think it would be almost a guarantee that includes in your net worth. It's part of your assets. And that's and that's the the great point that people make. And so how many people chose no? It shouldn't be. It was like it was it was close. It was like fifty fifty. It was like it was like forty seven fifty three. Yeah. So I'm curious to know how many of those people who said no own a home. I'm just. I'd be curious. That'd be a fun fact to know. But like I said, wow, that's, that's crazy. How would you not assume that in your net worth? And then now, all, here's my thing: when you're talking about accreditation, like if you want to be a accredited investor, right? Cannot include your 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 equity in your personal residence. I get that. There's that too. But still, your net worth, your total overall net worth, your home absolutely should be included because that is an asset. It's money you have, and now it could fluctuate just like anything else. I mean, yes, I don't know how anyone could fight against how it's not. It was actually Bryce that said the same thing. He's like, it can go up and down just like any investment. Like, yeah, and I was like, yeah, but I only get to, I only get to see it if I sell. He's like, you only get to see it if you sell Apple. Like, so true. It's an investment, but it's also appreciates slowly. The long story is, well, hold up, hold up. I think we just kind of like swept that under the rug. So right now, you are your net worth. You are officially a millionaire. If you include the equity in my house, we're including the equity of the house for sure. With Kelly Blue Book, yeah, I'm a millionaire. Guys, can we give a round of applause for Brad real quick? (laughs) But that's huge, man. But I, like I said, I didn't know that. But like, it doesn't. But then you also know this too, and I'll mention this too. When my dad passed away, I actually had to write a very rude email to somebody once. Probably one of the only rude emails in my days. Um, about when my dad passed away and he gave me like 50 grand or so. And I had to go through all the, all the ways I spent that 50 grand, how it had nothing to do with debt because everyone told me that I cheated in my debt-free journey. You know, I owned a brewery and you know that I, I did very, very well. And you probably through drinking stories, you have a pretty good idea of what happened there. And there's also a part of me that holds back on that because I don't want I don't want people to think that financial success was based around selling businesses or people dying. And I know this is back to like what I know and what's hard for other people to understand is like, I know deep inside, like it didn't matter. Like it, it, like my dad's inheritance did not help my debt-free journey. It actually hurt my debt-free journey. I had to sell a house. I had to move. I covered funeral expenses, things like that. Like, I didn't I didn't break even on that deal. Like it's like saying, Oh, I got sixty thousand dollars in wedding gifts, but you paid a hundred thousand dollars for the wedding. Like you can't just talk about the gift. And people don't understand that. So I didn't want to be I mean, there's nineteen people here and you're my best friend in the world. So it's like yeah, I did really, really well to sell the brewery and I didn't want people to that's when I when I sold the brewery, that's literally if you go back and look at my channel, that's when I stopped doing net worth videos. Because that but dude, like that's your story though, man. Like Yeah, but there's I mean, there's certain things in my story I just don't share yeah, publicly. No, I get it. Totally get it. But uh, I mean I don't share my net worth. But with investments, <laughs> I'll be a millionaire by the end of I'll have a million dollars in investments by the end of twenty twenty two if 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 all things all things are considered. Boom. Boom, baby. So with me, I so I'm thirty should be. So I'm thirty nine. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. So if everything goes right, if we see a huge drop in the market and it stays consistent like that, I won't hit this. But if the market stays where it's at, I'm going to guess by 32, 32 to 34, I should hit the million mark. Maybe. Again, depending on how everything goes. And depending on how YouTube goes. As we know, YouTube is very up and down, so that could change dramatically, uh, drastically as well. Um, but 32, 34 is what I'm thinking. Nice. So we'll see. And that's include that's including my home. If you get to 32 to 34, if you're on the same path as Carl Jensen, you're going to have 5 million by the time you're my age. I could live off that, bud. Some people say, I agree with JJ on this one. You earned the money and went to your home. You should count as part of your net worth. 100%. I don't know how anyone could argue against it. Because... I really don't. I'm so strong opinionated on that, though. But, like, I can go on Robinhood and I can look at the value of my portfolio. I can go on Zillow and find the Zillow estimate of my house. But, I mean, you and I both know that that Zillow or Redfin or whatever they're giving you, that's not really the value of your home. So be conservative about it. That's what I do. I look at what I think I can sell my home for, and it actually just got appraised, so I'm pretty close to where I'm at, yeah. and I still haven't even put that full amount on my net worth sheet. I'm way under on it just because I'm conservative. I'm so conservative on numbers. So like what my home technically is worth to an appraiser for my HELOC I just got, I haven't even put that full amount on my net worth sheet because I'm just like, eh, it's a little... It's a little high. <laughs> That's how I feel too because, all right, that you make a great point and I'll tell you this too. I know what I bought my house for a year and a half ago. I got a pretty yeah. good deal. I bought it for my father's estate. Okay? I didn't steal it, but I got it pretty under market. For what it's selling now or what I could sell for now, I don't think I'll be able to sell it for in a year. That's the main reason. Well, okay, so I get that totally. Let me ask you this. Like, if your house was, my house is, I I believe my house is $100,000 overvalued right now. I know what I can get for it. Yeah. But I don't think that would be in a year, maybe two. Yeah. So if that, if the COVID inflation or whatever is going on right now mm-hmm. is the thing that puts you over a million and you knew that your house was severely overvalued right now, but then people combat with, well, Tesla stock's severely overvalued and you still count that towards your net worth. But I don't like... I'll say that like that inflation of the COVID thing and what's going on right now. And the fact that I just sold my house next door and the people that sold it, bought it. I mean, the people that bought it, bought it way over what they should have paid. Yeah. That's what put me over the million. That to me is like, ah, uh, just maybe in six months, if I hear the housing market starting to settle out and Zillow gives me a number and that keeps me at a million, then maybe I'll be more like, I don't know. But that goes so, Okay. Totally understand that, and I am agreement with, with you on that. As far as like, maybe don't pull the full, don't put the full amount as your net worth uh, to 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 what the total amount what your home is actually worth, because it's not quite like Tesla. You know, Tesla has a set price. You have to put your home in the market and see if you can get that price first, and you may be able to get it right now because of how the market is. But in six months, it may not. But again, in six months, Tesla may be down to 200 bucks a share. You know what I mean? So like, I, I totally get that. And and yeah, like it, it's not as like cookie cutter as a stock price versus what your home's worth. 
So that's why I'm conservative on my house numbers. And if, you know, like that's just. I also say this too. I'm not trying to like put myself out there or like put myself on a pedestal. I, I also want to say that like a million dollars is a little bit vanity number. Oh, totally. I mean, will I celebrate my, I mean, same as a hundred thousand subs. When I get to a hundred thousand subs, I am going to throw a party that's not even going to be allowed to be published anywhere near the internet. I'm coming. Yeah, I know. I know. And you might not leave. <laughs> now you just can't leave, you know? And like mortgage burning party, like I have friends that like, or now aunts, uncles actually that have thrown their mortgage in the fire and had that party. Mm-hmm. I'll have that for a hundred K. Would I have that for a million, including my house? If, if my brokerage accounts and my, it gets to a, it gets to a million. That's going to be a party. Yeah. Lindsay and I are taking a trip for a million. Yeah. You can do whatever you want. We're, 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 I'm excited, man. Like that's, it definitely is a vanity number, but it's something that I'm like, I feel like it's one of those numbers where like, once you get there, you're like, okay. Well, the same, I know what I'm doing here. It's a prove it. Like I'll, I just do my hat. I'll tell you, you made it crooked as hell. <laughs> it's your, it's your hat. No, it's because it's mirrored. So I'm trying to fix it, but it's like opposite. It's backwards. <laughs> no, but like, we'll use this. You partied your ass for a hundred K, right? Yeah. Do you even like, does that even a blip on your, is a hundred, 50 matter like no exactly the next thing that matters is a million but well that's but you know that's the same thing like you can celebrate wins and everybody's wins are different and for me a million dollar brokerage account and 401k and things like that Mm -hmm. a million dollars in investments is a party for me like i said i'm not putting myself on the pedestal i i'm slightly humble and mostly just like to protect my family and things like that but yeah i mean i yeah with my it's gotta feel good yeah no, it's 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 dope. I but to be honest, right now I want a hundred K subs. Hundred K subs would be more accomplishment, I think. No way. I would much rather have a hunt uh, It was harder to get to a hundred K than get to a million. It, it would be hard for me to agree with that because I already got to a hundred thousand subscribers, but I would almost agree with you. Yeah. I mean I would do, almost agree with you. It's harder to get to hundred K subscribers me, on YouTube than a million. Well, it took me like five years to get to a million just putting money in the bank. Yeah. It took me pretty much four and a half, five years of nonstop work to get to a hundred thousand of mostly two videos a week and hours of editing. Guys, I'll give you full the video I posted today. I got a new uh, editing software. I finally ditched the iMovie and I got Camtasia to many requests and people. And I've had it now for like a month and I've just not been willing to try it. That 10 minute video today took me three and a half hours to edit. Usually a 10 minute video will take me about 16 to 18 minutes to edit. And when I was done, I couldn't be more pumped to make another video because I learned so much, but I've done that now. I had to do the same thing with iMovie and I had to do the same thing with audio and every camera I've ever gotten. So dude, a hundred K subs on not saying for everybody. Some people go viral. Great job. Yeah. You know, but 100,000 on YouTube was... We're digressing. This is about aha moments, not about our YouTube careers. This is a good story, though. I mean, the whole million aspect to it and everything, that definitely has to go with investing and everything. So it's a point made. Definitely. This is a good one. I like this one. Yeah, we had a good time. Yep. I'm going to close this out, dude. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the rest of your night. Until we catch you on the next one, take care.